Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature Barbara Earl Thomas. She is a visual artist with numerous national exhibits to her credit. She is a maker who builds tension-filled narratives through paper cuts and prints, placing silhouetted figures in social and political landscapes. Barbara is known for her large-scale installations that use light as the animating force and invites her viewers to step inside her illuminated scenographies. Barbara's works are included in several collections, which include the Seattle, Tacoma, and Portland Art Museums, Chrysler Museum, Microsoft, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Washington State, and Seattle City Public Collections, to name a few. She has art projects for Seattle's Sound Transit Stations and Yale University. Barbara received her BA and MFA from the University of Washington School of Art. She currently has two major exhibitions on view, Geography of Innocence at the Seattle Art Museum and a collaborative exhibit with New York-based artist Derek Adams, packaged black at the Henry Art Gallery at the University of Washington. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Enjoy my conversation featuring Barbara Earl Thomas. Thank you so much, Barbara, for joining me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Welcome. Thank you for asking me. I'm so excited. Good, good, good. Let's dive in. When did you discover your artistic passion? Well, you know, I don't think I ever discovered my artistic passion. Um, I have always been a maker. I come from a family of makers. And when we made things early in my life, it was about oh, you, we don't have that thing. You know, we, we need something to cover the back of a couch or we need something to make that pillow look better. So we would just make it <laughs> and, uh, and, and embellish that thing. And my dad was always, you know, tearing things down and sort of half building them back. So my job was like, okay, if the living room is going to kind of be undone for a while, how do we make it so that we can still be in there? And I think that, um, it's always been a function of how do I solve this problem? There's the problem I need to solve. And the creative process, you know, as I learned later in my life, has been a way of life for me. And um, so I'd say from the moment I, you know, sort of sat down and realized that I was living in the house with my parents and things that we didn't have, whether it's me wanting a skirt or me wanting something else, can I make that thing? So when did you start creating? Was there a particular incident? Was there a particular artist? 
Well, no, I think that when I started creating, I think that I used to draw all the time as a kid. And one day my mom came home from work. She was a working mom. She came home and I gave her one of my drawings and she looked at it and she seemed to, she seemed to get so happy. And I thought, wow, that can make my mom happy. So every week I'd make her something. And I think that my first impulse was that it was a gift and to make something for someone to give it was kind of like this gift. Then when I went to, um, to university, you know, in the, in, in, in 70s, I realized that, you know, I had no idea that people actually could major in art and that art was a thing that you could become. And I decided as long as I was at the university, I, I knew I, I would always could have a job, but I wanted to major in something that, you know, I was interested in and that I felt like. I could be in a, in, a, in a group of people who were all making things. So I majored in art with the idea, not with the idea that I was going to become a professional artist in any, in any way, shape, or form, but that I was going to do something I was seriously interested in. Then I'd come out and, I don't know, make my way. So that's how it started. How would you define your practice? You know, if I think about what I do now, I, I wrote a, um, an essay for the catalog that came out for the show that I have right now, um, The Geography of Innocence. And the title of that essay was Making is Thinking. And I realized, you know, a long time ago that what I love to do is think about things and try to gather, research, think about something, see what the problem is, and then see what I can make with whatever idea I have in mind. So I think that my practice is about making something that reflects sort of a long pattern of thought about a thing. And, um, and so I think of my artwork in a way as the artifact of my thinking. What, what materials do you use? Well, um, of late, of the last, you know, three or four years, I've been doing these very detailed paper cuts where I uh, cut the paper and I use hand-printed color underneath the, the paper cut. But before that, I, I actually am trained as a painter. So I've painted and I've used gouache, egg tempera, have, were my uh, major, my main painting, you know, water media that I'd use. But I also work in glass and I work in large paper cut sculpture. And then if I'm doing public art, I use steel. The point is, it's like, what material does the idea call for? And do I have enough information to translate my thoughts into the material I select? And because I, when I'm working with things on glass, it's because glass is kind of the best material for telling that story. When I work with paper, I'm thinking I'm doing this particular image and this particular idea in paper because it's a really good uh, output for that. And I sometimes mix them when I'm having a show. So in the show that I have right now at the Seattle, Seattle Art Museum, I have large paper cut um, sculptures and glass involved. I have 2D paper cuts and it all lends to the aspect of the story that I'm telling. So that's what I think. I think I'm thinking and I'm using my uh, artistic output to 
show people what I've been thinking about. So what does your workspace look and feel like? It's some people walk in and they say, oh, God, this is so cozy. And I think the only reason it's cozy, it's because I've been here since 83 or 84. <laughs> and so there's lots of layers. I mean, if I were to, it's, it's probably 900 square feet, maybe 1,000 square feet. And there are things all over the walls. And I have two large uh, eight or nine foot cutting surfaces. So when I have people here cutting with me, we can roll out the Tyvek. Sometimes I'm working with Tyvek to make the large sculptures. And I can have people working on both sides of the studio. And then if I want to work larger, then I, I can do that. So I usually work on top of these really flat surfaces, but long tables to, to make my work. And I use a, an X-Acto knife. It's utilitarian. Um, it's colorful just because of the things that I have on the wall. But usually at the end of each project, I take down the, all of the images or most of the images I've had from my past show and have the walls kind of be a little bit blank so that I, it's a little bit of, I think, tormenting myself by making myself feel like I'm a little bit, I, I don't have... It's, it's kind of a goal. Okay, I'm creating scarcity here. I'm creating this idea that, oh my God, you don't have anything. You've got to now make something to fill those walls because there's nothing there. And sometimes when I have things up and around, I got, have this feeling of abundance. Look at all the work I've made. Look at all that. And, and it doesn't create the need. So I take all the things down so that I can be a little bit, a little bit desperate. You know, I guess it's probably some sort of S&M thing, but, you know, it works. <laughs> hey, you start fresh again. You start fresh. Yeah. Do you listen to music while you're working? I always listen to music. Um, and um, I listen when I'm by myself. And then when I'm working with my cutters and people that are here that are working with me, we have an ongoing playlist and uh, we add to it. And so I go all the way from classical music to very, very contemporary, you know, whether it's Bruno Mars or sometimes it's, you know, all the way back to Marvin Gaye. And then we go to Earth, Wind and Fire. And then we leave there and we go to things that I don't even know who they are. And I'm just trying to, as I tell the, the people I work with, I said, I just want to be within 10 years of being contemporary. Because I say to people, if I know about you, you know, if I find out who you are, it's probably because your career is just about over. That's how far behind I am. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In terms of like the music I listen to. So, uh, you know, and, and I have my, my cutters are anywhere from, you know, 30 years old to 65, 70 years old. So the music that people bring to the list is quite varied. And we dance. And at the end of something, if we get all done, we run around in a circle and kind of, you know, have our victory. So it's good. That sounds great. That That's sounds why I always fun. think it's really funny when people walk into the gallery and they're looking at the pieces and they go, did you see this? Isn't this wonderful? I mean, and there's whispering and they don't know. I've just come from many decibels <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's been lots of sound and noise and all kinds of things happening in the studio. And then it goes into the museum and everybody's whispering. And um, I think, well, I said, I guess that's what you do in the museum. Yeah, it's whisper. If you weren't a, a visual artist, what other career path do you think you would have followed? I, 
I mean, I, actually, that's really a very interesting question. What other career paths might I have followed were I not or had I not become a visual artist? I'm a writer, so I think I would probably be writing more. Uh, and also, I like I like computers, so I might have gone down the road of of you know doing some kind of programming or something like that because it's very mathematical and um, and it's symbolic, and I like those kinds of things. But I think writing, I probably would have been writing more than I do now. Do you feel you have a certain passion when you're creating art? I think that um, in terms of the energy that I bring to the work, that there's an urgency to to get it out so that I can see what it is I'm thinking about. Because not only does my, when I said my my practice is about making my making visible my thoughts it's not just making my my thoughts visible for others it's about about making my thoughts visible to myself and to see also how the thought changes as it becomes as it materializes and so i i find that it's it's if i knew i always say to people if i knew what i was going to do exactly what it was going to be. I probably wouldn't do it. And when I was in a writing workshop once with Grace Paley, one of her quotes was that um, there are two kinds of writers. There's a writer who writes because he has a story to tell. He knows the story. He's going to tell it. And there's a writer who writes because he's looking to find out what the story is. And I think I'm the latter. Interesting. How do you keep learning? I think that keep... I keep learning because I feel like that's the basis of what education is. All education to me, going to college, what it did best for me was made me realize that I could teach myself how to keep acquiring knowledge and skills. And I I learned how to learn. And that's exciting to me. It's exciting to me to read other people's ideas and to... um, that way, also, it's, I think as human beings, we are really, you know, their whole philosophical treatise is about this, about being sort of isolated inside this body we're given. And here we are, and we're struggling to try to communicate with somebody else's who's also inside of the body they're given. And I think that um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to do that. And that's part of my passion is to communicate. I'm a storyteller. And so I think that what our lives are made up, and this is not original to me, our lives are made up of are the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and what we're about and where we're going and what is our purpose. And I think that um, that's what I'm involved in, is the passion of trying to find out what is the story of the moment, because I have no illusions. I actually don't think there's a logical thread I make a thread that runs through my life, but it's because that's what it's, that is what human beings do. But I know that what I do from moment to moment are kind of isolated behaviors that, you know, the mind links together. And so I'm fascinated with that. And I'm passionate. I have a passion for looking at the thing and going, hmm, what can I make of that now? People ask about, well, what were you, what do you think about? you know, how you're dealing with the pandemic and how has it changed your art and how has it made you think? I said, you know, 
I can't know that until I'm out of this. You know, and I think that that was the same thing that happened during 9-11 when everybody was going like, God, this is the biggest event, you know, kind of political event in our lives. And, and how are you thinking about it? Are you writing about it right now? People were just stunned and speechless because when you're in the middle of the thing, you're either present or somehow you've, you know, taken yourself out of the, the moment and you're trying to narrate not having all the information. So I just kind of, I go along. I actually, I think the reason I probably did okay during the pandemic is because I'm pretty used to holding ambiguity and holding mystery and, and understanding that I'm not going to have, you know, the answers. And so I don't see the end of it. And, you know, that's, that's what's made, I think, a, a lot of people so stressed out is because they want a, a hard answer, a hard stop. When is this going to end? How is this going to end? What do I, what, you know, what do I need to make it stop? You don't, and if you don't know, it creates a lot of anxiety. But that's kind of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you feel your audience understands your work? Or do you even think of your audience when you're creating? Well, I think because I'm a storyteller, I do think about my, I, I think about clarity. I think about honesty. I think about how can I be as clear and honest as I can possibly be in this visualization I'm trying to make right here. And I think that I always have things I've researched, things I'm thinking about that are my motivator. They're the fuel in my, um, in my engine. And they keep me on track in terms of like, you know, the idea that I'm working on it at, at, the, at the moment, I'm creating a series of work. But it's not necessary for my audience to know all the details of my story or the things that I'm thinking about at the time I'm making the work, because I'm depending on the audience to come in and fill in the blanks with their own lives. You know, what they're going to come in and they'll see the the hand cut room that I created, or they'll see the paper cuts that I've created. And, you know, there'll be a title and there'll be a short kind of synopsis of what my motivation was. But the viewer, I am really depending on the fact, hopefully that I've been clear enough that the viewer can complete the sentence for him or herself. Um, and I hope that I'm making work that it can be taken on a number of levels. It can be like a lot of things, like you in a, in a relationship with a person, you can be, have a very superficial relationship. Hello, how are you? How are you today? Or you could have that relationship where, how are you? Well, you know, my dog died. And, you know, then you can go from there or you can get as deep as you want. So I try to create the work so that there are layers of complexity that the viewer can enter into whatever level of complexity they're game for. So, but my job, my job is for me to make the image or, or the series and to be as clear as I can about my own intent. And it's like writing, you know, I, you know, if you write a, a, a sentence and it's got a subject verb and an object and, and it's clean and it's clear and it connects to the next sentence, there's a chance that the, um, the reader will be able to follow you. And everyone who reads a sentence is going to get something different from that sentence, or they're going to get something different from that whole book. 
But that depends, again, on what they bring to the reading. So the, the, the writer's job, the visual artist's job, is to just bring as much clarity as they can to their image. And if it isn't clear, the viewer will be confused. If it is clear, they'll bring a story and amplify what you've done. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to work with paper to create the paper cuts? Oh, that was a, a, a lot of things that came together to, again, it was trying to solve a problem. I had been, you know, doing my paintings and I realized that I wanted the work to be bigger than it had been. I wanted to be able to free myself from, I'm, I actually have this, I have this graphic, I have a very strong graphic proclivity. So I'm you know, you give me a pencil or something and I'll start just, you know, I'll just get down into the details and the weeds and everything. And I'm just drawing everything. And I needed something, I thought, to break that sort of proclivity I have to over, over describe. And when I went to use uh, an X-Acto knife to cut my image, all of a sudden I was tasked with making one cut do the work of maybe thousands of cross hatchings. And the other thing that I was trying to do with the uh, paper cuts was to literally bring light into the work. And I'd been uh, doing these, um, I'd been, I got an opportunity, I think it was 2013, to do a, a glass residency at the Tacoma Glass Museum. And they were specifically wanting to work with uh, artists who were not glass artist. And that would be me. I'm not a glass artist, but you come in with your ideas and you've got all these people, these gaffers and all these 11,000 degree ovens and people that run around and help you not hurt yourself, but take your drawings and take your, your, your vessels that you've designed and they create those for you. And I created my vessels so that I could have these beautiful surfaces that I could come back in and impress my images on the um, glass. And one of the things that was wonderful about glass is that glass is about light and the way light glows, goes through the surface and the way it animates whatever is on the surface of that glass. And so I was able to create all these vessels and do these things I call story, story vessels that had my narrative around, created around the vessel and um, light going through it. And that's what animated the uh, the image. So I, I did that. And then I got back to the studio, you know, and I was looking around and I'd go, I don't have all those people. I don't have those ovens. I don't have that glass, but I still want to do that light thing. And so I just grabbed a piece of paper and I started making these lanterns and uh, putting light inside in them or putting them on my light table. And I realized that when I created these little light filled worlds, I could, I could use that process to make my images and then have light come as a result of how I place the color behind the image. And it has the effect of kind of looking like stained glass or looking as though the light is actually moving and flickering. So that was, that's how I came to it. And um, the rest is just history. <laughs> So how would you define black art? Hmm. How would I define black art? I I probably wouldn't. 
I, you know, I'm, I mean, I've been in, in this business for a long time. And um, I think that we can go back as far as Elaine Locke and the New Negro movement and all of that and about making art for the race to lift us up, to, to show the world, you know, images that portray us in honorable ways. And I think that many people out there are doing that. I think in a way I, with part of my work, am doing that. But I have to say that when I'm in the studio, I don't think about whether I'm a black artist or whether I'm a black woman artist. I just am in here making things. And I think that the labels for how it goes is for the, um, I guess, the critic or for the art historian to think about that and to try to categorize it in a certain kind of way. But I actually feel like it's not something I think about in terms of myself. I think about I'm making work, I'm being honest, I'm telling a story, and obviously I'm drawing from my world and everything in my world I feel is fair game for me. And so I think it's, it can be the subject matter. It can be the person who's making it. It can be any of those things. And I think that right now we're at a point in history where it's perhaps will be revealed that we are on both sides of that number line. We can make it. That could be black art. We can have subjects, mat, subject matters that tell our history. That can be black art. We can do color fields and all kinds of stuff and do a very good job of it. And people can say that's a black person that made it. And I think the field is wide. And, you know, some people think about it more than others. I agree with you. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. This is going to be our last question. What do you feel is your role as an artist? I think that, again, I think about the idea of the word artist. It took me a long time to even own that word because it it seems so big and cumbersome and kind of fraught with history and all of this. And I, I've come to the come to the conclusion that for me, it's just to be as honest as I can in my creation of whatever it is I'm making to not modify it for the market, but to, to be true to the story and um, follow my voice. And I think that that role of doing that, modeling that in the world is, is, is something that can be used in the world. And, and also it's a, it's a way for me to, to be responsible because I truly believe that ideas are powerful. I truly believe that, um, you know, people wouldn't be trying to censor you or, or looking at your thing and being upset about it if it was not powerful. So if you're going to paint something or you're going to cut something or you're going to do something that seems a little bit provocative, you better be able to stand behind that image, you know, and say, I did this because I, I really believe that this needs to be said, or I, I really, I did it because I, I believe in the story that I'm telling and not because you think that it's timely or because you think that it's something that, um, is going to be shocking. I mean, as someone said once when I was in a meeting, 
people need to be insulted or shocked a lot less than you think. (laughs) And so if your goal is just to shock someone, then, you know, maybe art isn't your thing. And, but if it's part of what you need to make your image, then use it. And I think that it's, it's, it's hard to be responsible uh, and to stand behind your choices in these days when everything is so monitored and you're worried about what people may think about you if you say or do or thing, do, do something. But I just think it's a way to show responsibility and show that you believe that you're doing what you believe. So I think people can use that in the world. So that's what I think. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation very much, Barbara. Well, thank you for having me. And I am so honored to be on Cerebral Women. (laughs) Thank you. And you are a cerebral woman. You know, (laughs) thank you. Welcome to the club. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.